most kids resent a dad who's constantly pushing them. Let's go. But not Rick Hoyt. We can do this. For years, Rick has been pushed, pulled, and carried by his dad, and he loves it. Here they come! That's because Rick, a wheelchair quadriplegic since birth, and his father, Dick, together have competed in over 65 marathons. So when you see Dick Hoyt pushing his son around, you're witnessing extraordinary devotion. Pass it on from the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. Atlanta's number one radio stations, Swanky 93.3 and The Heat 94.6. Radio stations has you covered. From our studios to our newsroom at KLP Entertainment. Listen on all major audio platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audacity, Apple Podcast, Stitcher Podcast, Google Podcast, YouTube and more. A few words for a successful life. Always ask why. Why? Tell the truth. All the time. Why? Write thank you notes. Eat right, sleep right. And exercise. If you don't like your job, change it. Why? Be creative every day. Take a fun trip. You don't always have to do things fast. These motivating thoughts from Randy Pausch's last lecture remind each of us to live our dreams. And I go now, my dog wants to play. Oh yeah, play with your dog. And with your kids. Motivation. Pass it on from the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. Live from our newsrooms brings back our hit news network, SNN, with many news anchors like Arthur Brooks, Addison Hayden, and Beatrix Gemma. Brings you stories about the news worldwide. Tune in on Atlanta's number one stations, Swanky 93.3 and The Heat 94.6 radio stations. To get the latest news today, listen on all major audio platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audacity, Apple Podcasts. Stitcher Podcast, Google Podcast, YouTube, and more. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our channel of KLP Entertainment. Reporting live from our newsroom, this is SNN. I'm Addison Hayden. Here's your business news breaking for April 25th. Why First Republic has not done a deal. Big banks gave the regional lender a $30 billion lifeline following the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, but it has yet to raise more cash, sell assets, or itself. First Republic will report quarterly earnings on Monday, its first since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank sparked a regional banking crisis. Pressure on the sector is not over, Moody's, the rating agency, downgraded 11 regional lenders on Friday, including Zions and Western Alliance. And despite a $30 billion lifeline provided by some of the country's largest banks, First Republic's shares have fallen nearly 90% over the past six months. So why hasn't there been a deal to raise more cash or sell assets, or itself? The challenge is significant. First Republic's hole in its balance sheet is reportedly about $25 billion. That raises the question as to who is going to absorb those liabilities, and how. It's a problem that First Republic is trying to solve through some combination of the government, big banks and private equity, though it will not necessarily involve all three dealbook years. Each of those parties has different priorities, timelines and constraints. Discussions are continuing. How much time is on the clock? 
First Republic is not expected to announce a deal alongside its earnings. But it is expected to offer guidance on the stability of its deposit base and the size of its potential losses. Assuming those have moderated, First Republic has time to solve its problem. But its decision to suspend dividends on its preferred shares shows the bank is clearly focused on managing cash. It has already lost wealth advisors to competitors, and the situation could change if further shocks to the commercial real estate industry cause another run on deposits, or if any other unexpected issues emerge. Still, analysts say those challenges may not yet be lethal, leaving First Republic in a somewhat painful holding pattern. The only acquisition scenario that is possible for FRC, in our view, is through receivership, in which a would-be acquirer is able to take advantage of an FDIC-assisted bargain purchase, analysts at Wedbush Securities wrote on April 10. Therefore, we conclude that FRC will attempt to grind it out as a standalone company for the foreseeable future. If Harry Kane does want an exit from Spurs, he will have to drive it. The onus will have to be on him. I think he knows very well what Manchester United and other big clubs around Europe, like Bayern Munich, think of him. They know he's worth and his value so price tag wouldn't put them off it's the negotiation process that would and he yeah yeah and he would need to smooth that okay so um you're sort of talking about the fact that he's you know he's going nowhere in terms of the, of the club themselves that's this summer do you think he will stay out he's i mean this is i'm, I'm asking you to be a bit of mystic meg here but do you think he'll stay there for the duration of his whole career Harry Kane himself has said that no decision's been made. So far, he's just focusing on getting to the end of the season. Now, we know that even in the current circumstances, that annihilation at Newcastle United, he was part of the senior players committee who, you know, addressed Daniel Levy, spoke to the rest of the squad, talked about how they need to up the standards. So he's very much still invested in Tottenham and them finishing as well as possible. Now, I don't think Kane's desire to win silverware has dissipated at all. I think, if anything, it's enhanced, it's increased. Mm. But there is that inner battle between, you know, going somewhere else and winning a trophy or having that legendary status at Tottenham. Mm. And I think Daniel Levy did a very smart thing recently. He hardly speaks, he hardly gives interviews. But he did one recently, a discussion um, at Cambridge, and he said, you know, I still believe Harry Kane can win trophies at Tottenham. But sometimes it's more than that. It's about legacy. It's about being a legend. And I would like to see Harry Kane's statue outside our stadium one day. And you know what? That image, I think, is a very powerful one for Kane to imagine. So he wanted to get the season out of the way. There are growing concerns at Tottenham that he won't recommit his future to the club just because of the upheaval they've had. We must remember, in less than a month, they're already on their second interim charge manager and there's been no movement in terms of that permanent appointment and the process you know we look at Chelsea you said the other club going through a, a period of turmoil we can see what Chelsea are doing the process has been quite out there for everyone to follow that hasn't been the case with Tottenham and that's a little bit worrying
Just finally then, do you think the fact that he is going nowhere according to the club, will that be quite an attractive prospect for whoever might take over as the manager? I think you can see that twofold. I think a manager coming in will look at the squad and want to reshape it. Selling Harry Kane would offer funds mm -hmm. to do that. And it also offers you to build the team in your image the way you see going forward. I think any manager would love the guarantee of goals that Kane brings. But if you're coming in with a long-term plan and you're thinking, you know, how long can this club rely on Harry Kane? You might think it's not the worst thing in the world to rebuild and to have the funds to do that. But I think any manager coming in would like to have some clarity around what will happen there and if indeed Kane does leave whether you know Spurs hold him and he leaves for free then where is that next top forward coming from will they have the funds as I understand it at the moment there some of the managers that they've spoken to that has been a key consideration you know what is going to be our opportunities for investment into the squad yeah. and for overhauling it I think the other thing Spurs have to do very well is sell well which they haven't been able to do there's someone I want you guys to meet he's called Timmy Timmy is a money plant and he's the perfect desk companion I water him once a week, make sure he receives some sunlight, but not too much, and for some reason, he just makes me happy. And it turns out I'm not alone. A lot of us have Timmy's at home, and Lizzie's, and Sharon's. We water them, we name them, we love them. I adore it for the blue-green color that the leaves have. Wake up to it every morning. I don't know, it just makes me really happy. I really love this boy. We treat them like people, like they're one of us. And for those of us living in cities, in the absence of nature, we've started a new trend of humanizing plants. But what if this wasn't a new trend at all? What if the idea that nature is a part of us and that we are a part of nature is actually our origin story? And what if recognizing that in a court of law could help us get closer to solving the climate crisis? Throughout history, our relationship with nature has evolved dramatically. We've morphed from riverbed dwellings to mega cities, sitting above nature and no longer with it. Extraction is part and parcel of today's contemporary world. And we're seeing the impact of that all around us. But there are some communities that are warning us to think differently. Los indígenas estamos ahí resistiendo. Esa es nuestra lucha, eso es cambio climático que detenemos las primeras soluciones en todo el mundo las indígenas son soluciones pero capitalismo es destrucción as vastly different as indigenous cultures are many share this in common a relationship with the environment that tells another story of what nature is something that is not as different from us as we currently believe something that is not for our economic profit and ultimately something that can have rights and should be protected just like we are Today, rights of nature is a term that could potentially bridge the gap between indigenous and Western knowledge and help fight the climate crisis. But what does this really mean and how could it work? Well, it's a recognition that our ecosystems like trees, oceans, animals and mountains, basically nature has actual rights that can be defended in a court of law. And this idea is already starting to gain traction. At least 30 governments around the world have instituted illegal rights of nature 
And one of the most innovative ways of doing this is through something called environmental personhood. It's the idea that nature should be recognized as a legal person. And this is defined as a human or non-human entity that has legal rights and is subject to obligations. It basically means that anything a person is entitled to, nature would get as well. Right to life, check. Protection from harm, check. Freedom from ownership, check. Pension scheme and health care, well, not quite, but you get the point. And more specifically for nature, it would include things like ecological well-being, biodiversity, and protection from industrial pesticides. And the list goes on. Today, indigenous communities have played a key role in getting these rights granted to nature. And that's what happened in New Zealand, in one of the most famous cases, the Tiawa Tupua. The Maori people fought for more than 140 years for these rights. That's five generations of being way ahead of the game. They wanted the world to legally recognize that this river is a living entity and to treat it like one. To the Maoris, nature isn't property. It shouldn't be owned and it shouldn't be abused for natural resources. And in 2017, the law agreed. The Crown finally granted personhood rights to the Wanganui River. This was a huge step and it made waves in global media. We are wading to the front of legislation here. Now you may wonder though, what happens next when a river becomes a person? Well, for starters, it can make harmful environmental projects illegal. It means that the river itself has the right not to be polluted. It has the right not to be degraded. It has the right not to be overdrawn before it can replenish itself. Environmental personhood also can strengthen indigenous rights. The Maori people were entrusted with the legal guardianship of the river. That means all decisions regarding the waterway must adhere to four Maori values agreed on by the government and local tribes. But it's not always simple. Enforcing these laws can be really difficult. One challenge is that nature often crosses borders. For example, Bangladesh granted all of its rivers legal personhood, but it's powerless to enforce this for the same rivers in India. And because people don't always agree who the enforcers or legal guardians are, or who they should be, and they'll also have varying financial means. And that matters, because it's expensive to pursue lawsuits and to hold offenders to account. This is what happened in Ecuador. An NGO successfully sued a polluter on behalf of a river. But then the company didn't comply with the ruling and the NGO couldn't afford to file a second lawsuit. It's tricky, and in many cases, the kinks are still being hammered out. But ultimately, environmental personhood is about a much deeper paradigm shift in how we view our relationship to nature. And it's one that we desperately need to fight to tackle the climate crisis. Because here's the thing, our separation from nature isn't real. It's something that we've created because it's convenient, because it allows us to cast nature as an externality or a commodity to be extracted. But it's not too late to change that because beyond Timmy here, there's a whole world out there that we need to reconsider how to look at. And indigenous cultures have led the way on this. Using the law to grant nature rights can prevent a whole lot of environmental damage that we're currently causing. So next time you see your own Timmy, think about what he or she represents. Let them be a reminder of the seeds of legal justice that we need to plant to grow a better world.